Welcome to the 120th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we will talk in depth about the past week's college basketball action and preview Super Bowl 56. So let's jump right in with a look back at college basketball action from the last week, starting with the upsets. Patrick? Arizona State beat number three UCLA 87-84 in triple overtime. Arizona State, one of the worst teams in all of, uh, well, really all of Division One, not just the Pac-12, not honestly not even just uh, the big, the major conference schools. Uh, they were one of 14 teams entering Saturday who did not have a quad one win that were in those major conferences, and uh, actually five of those teams were in the Pac-12 and also five of them were in the ACC, so fun fact there, uh, but Arizona State, obviously, one of, actually, no, not one of those teams somehow, even even though there were five other teams in the Pac-12 that were a part of that list um, who are better teams than them. But, uh, look, Arizona State got their, I guess, second quad one win of the year, um, and good for them, but obviously success not always going to continue just because you got one big win, and I don't think that uh, it was going to for Arizona State. But moving on from that, Rutgers beat number 13, Michigan State, 84-63. I think that means Rutgers is now 2-0 against teams in the state of Michigan this year, unless they lost to Michigan State on the road, and I wasn't aware of it. Uh, But getting some big wins at home, and that's really important for Rutgers. Somehow not really considered to be a bubble team. I I, I don't really think of them as one myself, and, and I think it's still odd, though, because they have pretty much the same resume they had last year, actually Possibly in terms of record, just straight up record, it's probably better. Uh, but the Big Ten as a whole is being kind of seen as a very top-heavy conference, and even the 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 great teams in the conference aren't as great as they were last year. Obviously, last year you had two one seeds with Michigan and Illinois. This year you're looking at maybe one low one seed in Purdue, and then next team down is probably Wisconsin as a two or as a low two or a high three. So. Big Ten overall, even the even the quality wins are not as quality as they've been in the past, and just overall the Big 12 has been the best conference this year, so it's not too surprising to see teams like TCU and Oklahoma taking the bubble spots as opposed to teams like Rutgers and even teams like Michigan. But uh, DePaul beat number 21 Xavier. That was on the road, 69-65. to DePaul was one of those teams who had zero quad one wins uh, heading into Saturday. So a big win for DePaul there, and that was a road win. A road win in the Big East is hard to come by, especially when you're a team that has zero Big East wins on the year, uh, and you know you've only won home, you've only won some okay home games at at home. Obviously, in non-conference, it's crazy that they went on the road and got a big win in conference against a team that's honestly pretty good this season. That being Xavier, obviously they're not ranked for no reason. So. A good team there. And then, not actually the most surprising upset. Uh, Maybe when you look at the names, it's surprising. But when they've the way they've been playing the season, Vanderbilt beat number 25 LSU, 75-66. to Yeah, Vanderbilt has been pretty terrible for a while. But uh, it really feels like they're starting to turn things around there. Uh, Maybe it's just the, the byproduct of Scottie Pippen Jr. playing really well this whole season and being one of the leading scorers in the SEC as a whole and one of the leading scorers in the country. Not not top five, but he's up there. Uh, it, that might be what it is, and that might be the reason why they're playing so well and able to beat a team with the, cal- with the quality of LSU. But it also could just be that LSU is, you know, in a little bit of a funk right now, and uh, 
Uh, although I, I'm not so I'm not so quick to believe that just because of the teams that they've lost who have continued to play well. It's not like they were fluke wins against an LSU team that aren't actually that good. Uh, I think LSU is still going to be fine long term, but they might be heading towards an eight or a nine seed like they did last year. Probably not what they expected from the beginning of the year, where it looked like they might be a three or a four a few weeks into the year, and now it looks or many weeks into the year, and now it looks like they're more trending towards the. Uh, towards the eight, seven or eight line uh, so far. But then we had probably the biggest upset of the week, I think. Mm, you could argue another one. But Virginia beat number seven Duke 69-68 to on the road at Cameron Indoor. Tony Bennett, even with a national championship on his resume, doesn't actually have the greatest record at Duke, uh, which obviously not many coaches have great records at Duke because it's hard to beat Duke in the first place when you talk about being in Cameron. It's even harder, but still Virginia has been kind of average against Duke, uh, but the one thing that they have done every single time is keep the game close, and when you keep the game close, you never know what could happen. I believe the stat is now that the last six games at Cameron between these two teams have been two point or less margins (laughs) by the end of the game, which is just ridiculous, but somehow I think Duke had won four of those before this year, and I think there were four and two overall heading into this year against uh, Tony Bennett-led Virginia teams at home. But number 20, Texas beat number eight, Kansas, 79-76. to This was on the border of me calling it a close game, but just because of the rankings and just because of, uh, well, you know, I, I think they also were, they, they were betting underdogs. So because of the rankings, because they were barely betting underdogs by a point or two, I'm willing to call it an upset. Uh, not that, not not too surprising that Texas was able to win this game, but I believe they ended the game on a 9-0 run or a 9-2 run. Uh, and really, look, Texas has been a team with a lot of talent that just hasn't gelled necessarily on the offensive end. They've been a great defensive team all year, but offensively they haven't been able to get enough production to win games against really good teams. And then recently ever since their game against Tennessee where they where they got a big win they've been pulling it together they've been a lot better uh so I think this is a thing that will continue honestly for Texas I don't think this is just an out of the blue uh, little hot streak here I think honestly with all the talent they had if you look at it I mean I was looking at it I was surprised to see that their leading scorer averages 11.1 points per game or something like that heading into the Kansas game the reality is They might actually have the problem of having too much talent because everybody thinks that they're, you know, kind of the lead dog there, and yet none of them really can be because they're all really as good as each other. So it's hard to find who's going to take the ball in clutch time and who's going to who's going to score in the middle of the game and how how do you deal with your rotations? But I feel like as the year has gone on more and more, I think Chris Beard has been able to figure it out on the offensive end, and they've been fine on defense all year long. Uh, So. They already had that part of that that piece of the puzzle in place, uh, so they just had to keep going on the offensive end, and I think they finally figured it out. But this might actually be the biggest upset. I'd actually argue Virginia beating Duke was a bigger upset. But Arkansas beat previously one loss, number one in the country, Auburn, eighty to seventy-six in overtime. It was a really fun game to watch. I mean, there's not anything specific you could point to as to why Auburn lost. They were playing without Zeb Jasper, who has started a lot of games for them this year as, as one of their main guards. But still, I'm not going to give them an out and say that they lost because he wasn't playing. Uh, Auburn played a good game. Walker Kessler got in some foul trouble late in overtime. I believe he had two fouls until maybe 
two or three minutes left in in the second half, but then he picked up two right at the end of the the second half, and then picked up one in overtime, and that was it for him uh, in this game. So that's just the way basketball rolls sometimes, and I bet he probably thought he could use those fouls and know that he'd end up with four and be fine, and then the ga- assuming the game didn't go to overtime, and then it did, and unfortunately, that's how his game ended. But Arkansas played a great game. They've been playing well recently. Another team, kind of like Texas, that came to the year with high expectations. Uh, Texas, much higher expectations, but Arkansas probably underperforming them more. Um, and then, you know, they kind of didn't really meet up to them. And then all of a sudden, here they are later in the year, starting to play up to their expectations more for sure. Let's talk about an upset that probably wasn't well documented at all. Santa Clara beat number 22, St. Mary's, 77-72. to That was Santa Clara's first t- win against a ranked team, I believe, in their last or, or since 44 games, I think it was. Uh, look, Santa Clara is now in third place in the WCC. We That conference is supposed to bring out four tournament teams. They're not one of them, but they're in third place. So it's possible that they might be trending towards the bubble themselves soon, but I don't, I don't really think so just because, you know, there are a lot of teams who are getting quality wins night in and night out. And, you know, Santa Clara's best opportunity is a team like St. Mary's, whereas the next four teams we're about to see had a lot better opportunities uh, different night, but... Same idea there where an unranked team is playing. An unranked team, most of these teams actually have something to do with the bubble in one fashion or another, um, beating really highly ranked teams. So let's get into that little four-game stretch there. Uh, three of these on Wednesday night. SMU beat number six Houston, 85-83, to giving Houston their third loss of the year. Uh, it's not likely that they lose a lot of games, and uh, this was one of them that they happened to lose. But SMU is the second best team in the American. Uh, Sorry, Memphis, but you're just not that good. (laughs) Um, And there's a reason why SMU is second in the conference. And uh, it's not entirely surprising that the second place team in the conference could beat the first place team in the conference at home. But in this conference, it's not common. Uh, The American's probably only going to be a a one-bid conference this year, so... It's not exactly, I mean, maybe this helps SMU and maybe this makes it so that it could be a two-bid league, but you never know what happens by the end of the year. And uh, this also, the problem is Houston's kind of your only opportunity. So if this win didn't put SMU into the field, they don't really have many opportunities to boost their resume from here on out. But speaking of a team that does have a lot of opportunities to boost their resume, who has flirted with the bubble a little bit this season and uh, certainly was way off of it and now moving their way back onto it, Oklahoma beat number nine Texas Tech 70 to 55. Not even that close of a game. Texas Tech was up at the half. Uh, by the way, after I had picked Texas Tech to win the conference because I was thinking they were going to win this game and the rest of their schedule set up nicely if they did, well, they choked the first per- the first piece of the puzzle. There were only about three pieces to the puzzle, uh, but now the puzzle is completely falling apart for Texas Tech, so I might be bailing out on that pick already. Uh, but Oklahoma played a really good game, and they they beat Texas Tech pretty easily. And, uh, you know, Oklahoma has the potential to beat teams like that. They've beaten teams like that all year long. Uh, And that's the reason why, even though they have, I think, 10 losses this year, they're still in the tournament picture because of the fact that they have so many quality wins. But moving on from Oklahoma, Rutgers got their second biggest win of the week, beating Ohio State, number 16 Ohio State, 66-64. to Rutgers just had a flair for the dramatic uh, this year with a half-court shot win over Purdue at home, and now this two-point win over Ohio State where I believe they went on NATO run to close the game. Uh, they also have a win at home over Michigan and over Michigan State, so four pretty quality wins there at home, but 
Problem is, outside of those four wins, the resume is not too strong. That's why they're still in the bubble. And frankly, a lot of people don't even think they're on the bubble whatsoever. Uh, they're they're barely outside of my next four out. They're probably the ninth team out of the tournament, in my opinion. Uh, but my opinion doesn't matter. Only the committee's opinion matters. Uh, but moving on from Rutgers, talking about a team that actually I just talked about and talking about Ohio State's next opponent, Michigan beat number three Purdue 82 to 58. And frankly, it could have been a lot worse because Michigan was up by more at the end of the game. Uh, but look, 24 points is a lot, right? It doesn't get much worse than 82 to 58, but Michigan just played a great game. And I think we just saw the Michigan that we expected coming into the season that hasn't really shown up, but lately they've been playing better. And even though they have three games in five days, very tough stretch, uh, not to mention Purdue also was just coming off of playing Illinois. So, and they were playing, uh, they're, they're, they're going to play three games in five days now because of this makeup, because uh, they're also playing on Saturday. Uh, it was a tough situation for, frankly, both teams. Uh, and they both came out pretty well, but Michigan just outlasted Purdue and played very well in the second half, reigning in a lot of threes, something that they've had issues with earlier in the year, and that really started the struggle for Michigan. But now that they've started to shoot again, uh, it really feels like most of their issues have been resolved and they're trending in the right direction. All right, well, let's stay on the theme of Michigan and Purdue as we move to close games and rewind about five days to the prior Saturday as we start off with the close games of last week. Number four, Purdue beat Michigan, 82 to 76. That's before they got a little bump in the rankings, and uh, that was at home <laughs> uh, in Mackey. So Purdue got that win, but Michigan bounced back with the win. I forgot to mention the one thing I wanted to mention. I did say in my uh, article predicting the conference winners of every conference, which you should read, by the way, that Michigan would beat Purdue on Thursday night, but Purdue would still go on to the big to win the Big Ten. So let's see if I can really be Nostradamus and see if that ends up being correct because the first part of that is already right. Although with Texas Tech, it's already looking like that one's wrong. And, you know, I said I'm only aiming for about 50% of them to be correct because some of the conferences, I don't really know what I'm doing. But uh, Purdue got this win. But, you know, it, the, the reason why I thought that Purdue was going to lose to Michigan on the road is because this game was just way too close. For for the way that they normally play on the at home in Mackey... It, this team just did not play well enough for me to con for me to be convinced that they were going to go beat Illinois after this win and then play an even better game at home or then play a better game on the road at Michigan because they were going to need to play better than they did at home to beat them. They didn't play better. They actually played probably worse. Michigan played a little bit better. They probably played a little bit worse and combined and being it and having it be at home, you get a 24-point win. Uh, but moving on from that, number one, Auburn beat Georgia 74-72. to 72. Uh, They had a lot of close games before their loss to Arkansas. This was one of them. Georgia, the, I don't know, the, I, I guess there's, I think there's like a three-team, there's really a trio of teams that I think they're all winless in conference or have one or two wins. Uh, Nebraska, Georgia, and Arizona State that are sitting at like six or seven wins on the season easily at the bottom of their conferences. Georgia in the SEC is that team. Uh, Arizona State, obviously, in the Pac-12, and then Nebraska in the Big Ten, who actually did get their first conference win of the season earlier, but that's beside the point. Let's talk about the Pac-12. Number seven, Arizona, beat number 19, USC, 72-63. And frankly, this game was closer than nine points than a nine-point margin indicates. I mean, USC actually went on a 10-0 run down by six to take the, or sorry, down by five to take the lead by five, which Arizona then countered with a run of their own to end up winning the game. I talked about this a little bit in my prediction, so I'm not going to go too much into it. 
Uh, but uh, probably USC's best game of the year, honestly. But we'll see if they can bring that kind of intensity again playing UCLA tomorrow. Uh, let's move on from that. Number 11, Wisconsin beat Penn State 51-49. to A really, really, really close game for a, a, an unranked team that has a losing record on the season. I mean, Penn State is normally hanging around 500, but still making every game close. But some teams have managed to beat them by a lot, and uh, Wisconsin struggling to beat them at home is really, uh, it's confusing, but uh, I guess Wisconsin just likes close games because that's what they're comfortable with. Maybe maybe they're doing that on purpose. No, obviously they didn't score 51 points on purpose, uh, but let's move on from that. Number 12, Villanova beat number 17, UConn, 85-74. to Villanova has, uh, played. Villanova, you know, I-, I said it a lot on the podcast earlier this year that I didn't really believe in them as a championship contender too much, but now that I've watched them a few more times and I really feel like they've gotten better. Uh, they played with some guy with some guys not playing. Some guys are injured, and I'm starting to believe a little bit more in this team. I don't think they're, you know, the Villanova teams that won the national championship, and I don't really think that their ceiling is the national championship. I think it's a little bit lower than that. But uh, you know, never know what happens in the tournament. Things could go their way, and all of a sudden, as soon as you make it to, I mean, even the Sweet 16, as soon as you make it there, you could be in the Final Four, and as soon as you're in the Final Four. You just got to play good basketball for two for three days, and then all of a sudden you're national champions, uh, and they've done that before. So Villanova starting to play better uh, as we get up further into the year. But then we have Texas Tech, number 14 at the time, beating West Virginia, 60-53. to That came on the road. Uh, a great game played by Texas Tech. I, I, I like what they did, and uh, again, I'm a huge supporter of Texas Tech. I think they can win the Big 12, and that is what I have predicted them to do mostly because of their schedule, not exactly because of uh, the talent level. I don't think they're more talented than Baylor or Kansas, but I do think that the schedule favors them a little bit more. But moving on from that, number 24, sorry, number 14, Wisconsin, beat number 17, Michigan State, 70-62 to on the road. Uh, Big win for Wisconsin. They need wins like this to continue to improve their resume. Uh, And let's move on to number 24, UConn, beating number 18, Marquette, 80-72 to at home. Uh, UConn, a great team. Uh, they do not get the credit that they deserve. A lot of Big East teams have been ranked ahead of them for a good portion of the year, and they probably don't honestly deserve it. UConn, people forget, before Arkansas had beaten Auburn, they were the only team with a win over Auburn this entire season. Uh, if you want to rewatch a game, that's a game to go back and rewatch because it was a double overtime neutral court game in the Battle for Atlantis. It was very fun to watch, I will say, because I watched it myself, and I still remember it. Uh, But UConn's been a good team all year. It's not surprising that they can beat a team, the caliber of Marquette. But let's talk about a team that's probably not good enough to beat the the quality of a team like Marquette. Number 21, USC, beat Pacific, who is 7-17 and 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 2-7 in the West Coast Conference, 74-68 at home in a makeup game. Uh, maybe they shouldn't have made up the game. This was a little bit too close for their, for their liking. They were losing for a majority of the game. And I know it's kind of a joke that I hate on USC at this point, but I think this one's really deserved because, I mean, when BYU lost to Pacific, I'm pretty sure I had them as a 7 seed and moved them all the way down to a 9 or a 10. Pacific is terrible. Like, just, that it, it's that simple. They are not a good team. So when you talk about that kind of a loss... If you lost that team at home, I mean, BYU at least lost on the road. If you lost to this kind of a team at home, you're really bad. I mean, it's just very simple to me. But they did pull out the win in the end. They play. I, the USC has played well in close games, especially recently. 
However, they still do have some pretty bad losses, and this one definitely shouldn't have been close in the first place, uh, pretty much just like Wisconsin against Penn State. Uh, but moving on from that, Seton Hall beat number 25, Xavier, 73-71. to Seton Hall hasn't been ranked a lot this season, but I feel like they've been better than the ranked teams a lot this year, kind of like UConn. Uh, maybe the a- the AP needs to study the Big East a little bit more if they want to agree with me, but, you know, that's not the point of the AP poll. Um, but Seton Hall, been a good team all year. Now their road win at Michigan's looking really, really good. Honestly, their resume keeps improving without them having to do anything because all of their wins are getting better without them actually playing those teams again. They, they have a win over Ohio State that's looking really good right now. Uh, that continues to look better, maybe with the exception of that Rutgers game. And their win against Michigan on the road that for a while looked like, okay, yeah, okay, never mind. This is barely a quad one win. It's still a good win, but it's not a great win. Now all of a sudden it's starting to look like, hey, the number three team in the country who had lost their three games by a combined 10 points just lost to this team by 24, and they were able to beat them on the road. So while it was a different Michigan, different edition of Michigan back then, Seton Hall still has that win to talk about when you talk about their tournament resume. All right, let's move on to some other important matchups. Let's start with number five, Kentucky beating Alabama 66 to 55. This game was supposed to be pretty close. I would argue it was close through most of it, but I can't put it in close games when it ended up as an 11 point margin. Uh, Just a rule of thumb that if it's not single digits, I don't put it in close games, but Kentucky played a great game. Alabama played a pretty decent game. Alabama has a tendency to play down to their opponents Uh, losing to a team like Georgia, but also beating a team like Baylor, staying very, very close with Kentucky, staying very close with Auburn for a little bit at least until they ended up losing while giving up 100 and also losing by, I think, 20 points. I think they lost 100 to 81, I want to say. But Alabama has tended to play very, very well against the best and play terrible against the worst. (laughs) Uh, But this game was kind of like that, but Kentucky was ready for it. They got the win. Kentucky really actually making an argument that they might be the best team in the SEC, regardless of Auburn's record. Uh, And, you know, Auburn was losing at home to Kentucky without Kentucky's players getting injured. I still say I like Auburn better than Kentucky, but it is a very, 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 very close race. Let's move on from that. Number 10, Kansas beat number eight, Baylor, 83 to 59. Said it on the podcast last week. You were not going to beat Kansas twice in a row at home. It just does not happen. So Kansas had to come out and bounce back after their loss to Kentucky at home. They came out and beat Baylor. We'll see if Baylor can beat Kansas at home later in the year. But let's move on from that. Classic rivalry. Talked about it last podcast, too. But number nine, Duke beat North Carolina 87 to 67. What I didn't mention last podcast, talked about that list of 14 teams that has yet to win a quad one game. North Carolina is one of those teams. Although, with Michigan moving up in the net rankings, that game might actually have turned quad one uh, retrospectively. But I don't know for sure. And uh, we'll, we'll have to see how that stays for the rest of the year. But for now, North Carolina still without a quad one win, which is very rare for an ACC team at this point in the year normally, but this is a down year in the ACC. Let's go to a conference who's not having a down year, although maybe relative to last year, just a little bit. Number 18, Illinois beat Indiana 74 to 57 on the road. A commanding win by Illinois when really, I mean, their guys hadn't been on the court a lot with each other. Corbello and Kofi have been pretty much trading missed games, but here they are finally playing together, and they played pretty well. Uh, moving on from that, number 23, Texas, beat number 20, Iowa State, 63-41. to Wasn't quite an upset because Texas was favored by a lot in this game, actually. Uh, and, you know, it obviously wasn't even close. But Texas coming out, playing well. There's a reason why they moved from 23 to 20 
in this week's rankings before they ended up playing Kansas and also getting that win. And I think they'll continue to move up as the year moves on because I think they can only get better from here. Let's move on to number four, Arizona, beating Arizona State. 91-79 game, really, honestly. Well, Arizona State opened up up 14-1. to And Arizona, at some point, ended up being ahead by, I think, 30 points. So it looks really close on paper, but the reality is... If you take the stretch after Arizona State was up 14 to 1 and cut it until Arizona's biggest lead, this was like a 45 or 50 point margin that Arizona was winning by for a large majority of the game. But let's move on from that. Number three, Purdue, as I mentioned, beat number 13, Illinois, 84 to 68. Already talked about it a little bit, talked about Purdue enough, so I'll kind of brush over it a little bit. Uh, moving on from that game, number 12 beat Stan- number 12 UCLA, I should say, beat Stanford. 79 to 70 on the road. A big win for UCLA after the terrible loss to Arizona State. You got to get back into the flow of things. You got to get a good win after a bad loss. And that is what they did with this win over Stanford. Stanford, a pretty decent team. Honestly, a team that has the potential to knock off a team like UCLA at home, but not in this game. Let's move on from that. Number 10, Baylor beat Kansas State 75 to 60. Just a great game played by Baylor. Really a great second half, actually, because they were tied going into the half, but won the second half, obviously, by 15. That is how they ended up winning the game. And uh, overall, I don't think there's a—I mean, look, Baylor just played very well. They played a great second half, and I think they might do that for the rest of the year, honestly. I think they might play a great second half of the year, but let's move on from that. Number 19, Tennessee beat Mississippi State 72-63. to Tennessee— Uh, I believe actually went on the road for that win. So Mississippi State, that's not a good look on their resume because that's kind of a team that they should be able to handle at home. Uh, If you play those types of teams, you're going to need to win those games if you're a bubble team who's kind of surging in. So it's a big loss, honestly, for Mississippi State. Hurts their resume a lot, probably in the next four out at this point. But let's move on from that. Number four, Arizona beat Washington State 72-60 to on the road. A good win by Arizona, but Washington State trending towards the bubble. You really want to get that type of upset. And also, when you juxtapose it with Michigan beating Purdue by 24 on the same night that you, as a bubble team, lost to the number four team in the country, which is only obviously a slot under number three, it just doesn't look great. So uh, Washington State's still a good team. They might end up in the tournament if they if things go their way, get a few wins in the Pac-12 tournament over some good teams. But let's move on from that to a team that very easily will make the tournament. Number seven, Duke beat Clemson 82-64 to on the road. Clemson's desperate for wins. They have been on the bubble a little bit this year, but right now haven't been very close to it for a while. Finally, the, they are really kind of trying to show that they're maybe not bubble quality at all, and I don't think they really have a chance to get back on there. But... Number seven, Duke, with a very important win on the road. And let's move on, finally. This game, not talked about a lot. I only put it in other important matchups because nobody has talked about it. I wish I had talked about it earlier. Murray State snuck into the rankings while I wasn't looking. Number 23, Murray State beat Tennessee State 73-62. to John Morant University with a big win there. Uh, surprisingly, well, actually, no, not surprisingly if you followed it that year. But fun fact, Murray State was never ranked with John Morant. They were actually ranked before John Morant got there once in 2015, but had not been ranked with him. And this is the first time since that time in 2015 that they have been ranked. But guys, Murray State is 23-2 and on the year, 
One of the two losses is an 11-point loss on the road at Auburn. They're a legitimate team. They're a high... I mean, they could make a case that they're just... I mean, they could make the case they're just as good as a team like Houston, who basically doesn't play anybody and isn't in a great conference, is going to be in a one-bid league. Obviously, they're not that great, but, you know, I think they they can dream to be that good. And I think Murray State, honestly, they might get a little bit underrated by the tournament committee and someone might draw a really tough matchup in a 7-10 game even I think is probably where they might end up at the 10 spot uh, or even an 8-9 game that really a team you don't really want to play just like how Illinois had trouble dealing with Loyola Chicago last year and obviously lost before even making it to the Sweet 16 as a one seed you don't want to see Murray State in your bracket if they, if they were that close with Auburn they could beat probably most teams in the country if they get things going their way and they play well on that night. Well, that wraps up this week's look at college basketball. Now, let's turn our attention to the NFL. It's Super Bowl weekend. Super Bowl 56 is Sunday at SoFi Stadium in L.A. with the L.A. Rams playing sort of host to the Cincinnati Bengals. Patrick, your thoughts on the Super Bowl? Well, I think you got to look at the injuries first of all. I think it's always the most important thing to look at, but I think this game especially. uh, Both teams have starting tight ends who sprain their MCLs. Uh, Tyler Higbee's has been judged as worse, I guess, because he has been put on the IR, while C.J. Uzama has vowed to play, although he's still listed as questionable for the game, although he was a full participant in practice on Friday. Um, Everybody else on Cincinnati that I think isn't on IR doesn't have a game status, meaning that they're good to go, completely active, fully healthy, whatever you want to call it. Uh, These guys hadn't been injured before and aren't key contributors necessarily, Uzama being probably the most important. But all the Rams guys, Whitworth, Ramsey, Van Jefferson, Taylor Rapp even, uh, they're all listed as full participants, so it looks like the Rams will be at full strength too. The only guy who is still injured is Tyler Higby and also Joe Noteboom, who who was a limited participant on Thursday. But as long as Andrew Whitworth is a full participant, it doesn't really matter if Noteboom is uh, healthy or not because, well, if Whitworth doesn't get injured, Noteboom won't play. So Rams... Offensive line is intact. Bengals, pretty much whole team is intact. Uh, I really feel like that just sets it up for a mano-a-mano good game. And I think, honestly, both these quarterbacks, I trust a lot. I, I They are both not exactly the quarterbacks you would expect in, in a quarterback-dominated league. Um, obviously, the Bengals have some holes on their offensive line. I mean, well, everybody would argue their whole offensive line is a giant gaping hole in their whole team, and that's probably one of the main reasons why the Rams are favored in this game uh, by, by I think, three or four at this point. But I'm going to go ahead and say I think the Rams will win. If I had to put a score on it, I'll go 27-24. I think it'll be a really, really close game. No one is going to blow out Cincinnati. I've said it the whole playoffs. Even while I've picked against them a few times, I've still always backed up that they'll at least keep the game close. I think they'll do that again. But I think the Rams will just be a little bit too much. Just Aaron Donald, Von Miller, uh, everybody on the defensive line that contributes for the Rams is just going to be a little bit, and Leonard Floyd obviously too, it's just going to be a little bit too much for the Bengals' offensive line to handle. I really think the Bengals do have a chance of winning this game, though. Uh, and, you know, they won a game already where Joe Burrow had got sacked nine times and threw one interception with zero touchdowns uh, on the road against a one seed. So who's to say they can't beat the Rams in the Super Bowl and what really will probably feel like a neutral environment? Um, I, I think anything is possible. 
it's the Super Bowl. Both teams are very, very quality, very, very high-quality teams, I should say. They are both deserving of being here. It's always a toss-up, but I'm going to go with the Rams. Uh, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to say 31-30 Rams. I think it's a very close game. And I think the determining factor, I was going to say roughly what you said, so I changed it a little bit uh, in terms of the, the score. I was going to say 28-27. was too similar to yours. So I, I think the factor about whether, uh, whether the Bengals can play is exactly what you hinted at. Can Joe Burrow pull rabbits out of his hat in those instances when he is going to be under duress from the Rams' defensive front? Um, and I think he'll do it a few times, but not quite enough to get them over the hump. Not like he did in Tennessee, um, and that's the difference. But if he can, if he's going to be under duress, he's going to have instances where you think he's going to get sacked, and the question is, how many times can he wiggle his way out of it and deliver either maybe a third down conversion or a long strike to Jamar Chase or something that turns a negative play into a positive play? That to me is the deciding factor in the game. Um, I I'm actually a little bit sentimental here. I uh, I like it when players who've had a whole career and toiled in obscurity for crappy teams, find their way to get to a, a championship later on in their career, whether it's, I'll pull some names that you won't be familiar with, Ray Bork in hockey had it happen to him. So uh, one name like that, I'm, I'm rooting for Matt Stafford. I, I hope they win this one for Matt Stafford. I think that's a fair thing to say, although uh, I know as a Michigan native, you're probably not happy that they're selling Detroit Rams shirts uh, at certain stores. But... I should buy one. Uh, maybe you should. Uh, but <laughs> moving on from that, I think really, honestly, I agree with you about everything. And, you know, it's so hard to pick against Joe Burrow and the Bengals. I, I never pick. I wish I had the podcast back when LSU was on their championship run because I wouldn't have picked against them a single game while people thought they were going to lose at Texas, at Alabama, in the, in the maybe even to Oklahoma if you really didn't follow anything. And definitely some people thought they would lose to Clemson. But I was, I was team Joe Burrow the whole way. Um, now, unfortunately, can't keep with him, and obviously I picked against him already too many times, and, you know, apparently my record is that I have to lose again, I, I, I can never pick the same team correctly the whole way, and I, if they win the Super Bowl, it's because I picked their games wrong the whole time, because last year I didn't pick the Buccaneers to win any game, I think, after Saints game, I think, or maybe I even didn't pick them to win that game, and they won all those games, um, but... Don't want to do. I mean, I ever. I've been trying to reverse jinx the Rams the whole time, and that's pretty much worked. So uh, now that I'm picking them, I have a feeling they're going to lose. But uh, hope it doesn't happen. Not only for my prediction, but also because obviously everybody knows I'm a fan. But overall, I think you know it, it's going to be a really close game. And and you said it perfectly with the rabbits out of a hat thing. I also think it, it really depends on do the Rams know how mobile Joe Burrow really is because I think. One of the things that people get caught up in, and I think it happened to Chris Jones, honestly, is he got to the quarterback and assumed, okay, I put a hand on him. It's Joe Burrow. He's going to go down. No, he's actually really, really elusive, (laughs) surprisingly. Um, And and he's faster than you think he is. Chris Jones also didn't catch up to him on that play, if anybody remembers what I'm talking about. And that was a big play. It was actually a third and sixth conversion that eventually led to the Bengals' field goal that won them the game, or that that made it that put them up by three and then the Chiefs decided to go to overtime, but a very important play in that game. I really think it's going to come down to when Aaron Donald gets to him, is he going to be able to finish the play? When, same thing with everybody else on the team. Um, and look, that actually worked in the Rams' favor that they didn't finish the play once against the Niners where Aaron Donald got to Jimmy Garoppolo, 
but didn't ragdoll him, ragdoll throw him down to the ground fast enough, and Jimmy Garoppolo chucked the game losing interception for the Niners, but I really don't know how it's going to turn out, honestly, and I feel like I don't even want to make a prediction. Obviously, I already did, but I think we're in for a really good game, and I think we're in for just an overall great Super Bowl and uh, a great atmosphere with SoFi even you're calling it magic that they're magically extending their capacity by 30,000, but uh, I want to know what's going on in the schematics myself, but it'll be a great atmosphere. It'll be a great game. And I think if you're a neutral fan, you'll probably have a lot more fun than any of t- anybody who's a fan of either team because it's going to be stressful. Yeah. Well, um, we'll look back at Super Bowl 56 in our next podcast because that ends this edition of the fourth and 24 podcast. Please join us for that next podcast. That will be on Monday, February 4th, where in addition to looking back at Super Bowl 56, we will see the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions and dive into the NBA, including a look back at the past week's games and all the deals that made for a very busy trade deadline this year. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his weekend predictions that were posted Thursday and an updated NCAA basketball tournament bracket, which is posted on Saturdays, and his article predicting the regular season champions of every conference in college basketball that he just recently posted. All that content on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.